guys, if you have uh, your Bible, open and find the book of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3. This morning we're going to pick up where we left off last week in our study through this great letter from the Apostle Paul. Uh, it's a letter that I believe that he wrote from prison, I think, in Ephesus. time that he wrote this, many believe he was in prison in Rome. I mean, who can be for sure, but either way, he's writing from prison. This is one of the letters in the collection of his uh, letters called the Prison Epistles for that reason. And we're in an interesting section of this letter uh, that I think is interesting to think about from that vantage point. We're in this section uh, in chapter 3 that we, it sort of... This section runs from 3-1 to 4-1, and it's bookended by uh, two commands that are relevant to what we find within this section. So it opened with this command in 3-1 to rejoice in the Lord. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And then on the on the tail end in 4-1, he ends it, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Um, and so we saw the theme of that first command, rejoicing. We saw that come into play last week in the passage we looked at, 3, 1 through 11, where that was basically just a, a crystal clear description of, of the gospel. Paul rejoicing in that passage that in view of his former life, that he had now gained Christ and was found in him not having a righteousness of his own, but a righteousness from God that he received through Christ by faith. And then as we come to the, the middle of this section, um, and, and by, way, by the way, I was, today we're scheduled to cover 3.12 all the way through uh, 4.1. We're not going to do that today. I just thought 3.12 to 16 has enough in it. I need, need to just zoom in right there, and we'll figure out how to cover the rest of it in the time that we have left. But we come to this middle part of the section, and we're going to see that Paul pivots just a little bit to emphasize that that second command that he gives on the tail end of the section about standing firm and persevering uh, in, in the faith. And, uh, and in keeping with the last passage, if you'll remember, when we read what we're going to study today, you're going to notice that Paul, the way Paul writes these verses is he's still sort of writing it autobiographically autobiographically, meaning, yeah, in this passage, he's going to urge them to persevere in the faith uh, and steadfastly stand firm thus in the Lord, like he says in one. but he's going to do so by sharing his own perspective on his own life, much like he did in, in the earlier passage. And just to put into perspective what we're going to see him write in our passage today, just recall that this is the same Paul who literally heard the voice of the Lord from heaven, and and when when he did that, the Lord called him not just to saving faith, but to uh, an apostolic mission. This is the same Paul who in 2 Corinthians 12 said he received a vision of the Lord, was caught up into the, thir- into the third heaven, and he heard, th- he saw things that heard things, heard things that could not be retold. Like, I, 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 I can't tell you what I heard. Like, uh, yeah, it's the same same Paul who, over the course of his life, traveled hundreds of miles on foot by ship, which was sometimes a, a, a adventurous, um, all over the Roman world. I mean, seriously, who in that process? If you read, he tells the Corinthians this. He he 
he saw the Lord preserve him and deliver him from, and here's the list he gives, imprisonments. He's writing from prison here. Countless beatings. That's the word he used, countless. Countless beatings. I mean, a couple of them would be enough for me. Countless beatings. Um, 39 lashes with the whip. Five times of that. Five times. Uh, stoned and left for dead. Being shipwrecked on a, on a journey when the, the professional sailors were abandoning cargo and wanting to jump overboard. It was so dire. Adrift at sea. Here's when he puts on the list. Adrift at sea for a day and a half. Like, that doesn't sound like 39 lashes for with a whip. But I don't know that I want to be adrift at sea for a day and a half. I don't want to do that. I mean, he was robbed on his journeys. The Lord, he just, what I'm getting at is he saw the Lord preserve and deliver him through all those kinds of things. This is the same Paul who stood before kings and rulers, fearlessly bearing witness to Christ. This is the same Paul who used to do unbelievable miracles, lame walking, blind seeing, even a dead person being resuscitated back to life. And just keep in mind that this is the same Paul in whom and through whom the Lord was doing all these things. And in light of that, it's remarkable that Paul opens our passage today the way he does, basically saying, I still have a long way to go. I still have a long way to go. And uh, I haven't made it anywhere yet, basically is what he's going to say in our passage. Our passage is verses 12 to 16. So let's read it, and then I'll lay out what I want us to see in it. Beginning in verse 12, again, through verse 16, Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray. Lord, this is, a, this is an important passage, and we're confident that as we come to it, we are looking at and considering your holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. And as we come to this, uh, this word, would you give us eyes to see clearly what you are saying to us through Paul here? And would you give us minds then to understand it just as clearly? Would you give us hearts then to be moved by it, embrace what we're reading here, to, 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 to love it, and wills to submit to it and chase after it uh, as Paul is teaching us to do? Give me the help that I need to teach, and please give us all ears to hear what the Spirit is saying in the Word. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Because I told you, I suppose you look at the group me every now and then. I said yesterday that this was our passage, and I told you um, if you wanted to go ahead and 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 read it, that I was. I think Paul in this passage gives us six keys to perseverance. Six. He's urging them to persevere, and I think he gives us six different keys 
to that perseverance. Six things to know and be aware of in order to endure, to stand firm in Christ, to persevere. And I'll go ahead and tell you what those things are. And before we walk through them in the text, and I don't mind telling you, I think this is one of my best jobs of alliteration I've ever done. Um, and that's not to say anything about the sermon that is to follow it, but the points are, I'm pretty proud of them. Again, six keys to perseverance. He understood six things very clearly. First, he understood the definiteness of his position. The definiteness of his position. We're going to see that in verse 12. I don't know if there's a better definiteness. Definitude? I don't know if that's... I don't know. Definiteness is the word I used. Second, he understood the duty of the present. That's picking up from a a repeated phrase and idea in verses 12, 13, and 14, the duty of the present. Third, he understood the distraction of the past. We're going to see that in verse 13, the distraction of the past. Verse 14, he's going to hold out, as important for us, the desire for the prize. The desire for the prize. Fifth, he understood, and we take this from verse 15, the danger of pride. The danger of pride. And then finally, in verse 16, he understood the demand for perseverance. Did y'all catch that? That's not just alliteration. That's double alliteration, guys. Times six. Um, Anyway. So Paul knew that these Philippians had been faithful. He's not writing to um, a wayward group of people. I mean, we know that from the opening verse, taking uh, taking in, you know, he says in one five. I mean, the opening words, he talks about their faithful partnership in the gospel from the very first day until the present day, until now. So he knows that they've been faithful. He's not writing to a wayward group, but he knows even with that, uh, they, 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 they can't, they can't let up. They've got to keep persevering. And so he's, he's telling them these six things they need to, to remember in order to keep going. And so the first thing that Paul, uh, that kept Paul going again, he's writing autobiographically. The first thing that kept him going and never settling and always seeking to know Christ more and to persevere in him was understanding the definiteness of his position. So he's just finished one of the greatest passages in the New Testament laying out the, the, the gospel. I said that last week. I said, remember I said, there's sometimes some like just single verses that capture the gospel, Romans 6, 23, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. I mean, then there's some just passages that just really clearly lay out. You could just with anyone, if you said, if somebody said, can you show me the gospel in the, in the Bible? You could turn to a lot of things, but this is, there's some passages you could just, this one, and read it, and it's just crystal clear. He's three one through eleven is one of those, uh, and and and, he, and it's the incredibly he says in those verses it's the incredible, incredibly comforting doctrine of union with Christ. I've already mentioned this that Paul, knowing that by faith in Christ, he is found in Him is the is the language he uses found in Christ and having a like standing before God clothed in a righteousness. From God, not that he's trying to offer to God, one that God gave to him in Christ. So Paul 
knew he was in Christ. He knew the security of that. And he says in our passage today, this is one thing that motivated him to keep going and press on in the faith every day. He thought continually about the gospel. Look again at what he says in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on. Why? What, what, what's the reason he gives in verse 12? I press on because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ Jesus has made me his own. He belonged to Christ. The NIV says, Christ Jesus took hold of me. Right? Think about that. That that when you're reading your Bible, like those little phrases are the ones you just need to just meditate on and marinate in for a while. Jesus, Christ Jesus made me his own. He made me his own. John Gill was a British pastor and theologian in London in the early 1700s. He he was actually pastored for 51 years at the same church that later uh, Charles Spurgeon would pastor at. This is what he said that, that I think helps us understand the depths of what you could uh, see in, in a simple phrase like, Christ, Christ Jesus made me his own. Gill said, man has neither the will nor power to act of himself in things spiritually good such as conversion, regeneration, faith, repentance, and the like. Conversion is not the work of a creature, but of God, even a work of his almighty power, by which men are turned from sin and Satan to him, are delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. That's a work of God. Christ Jesus made me his own. And Paul was not just writing this to the Philippians. He was continually aware of this. How do you know? Just read his letters to the, to the Galatians. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. To the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 6.19 and 20. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And to the church in Rome, Romans 14.8. If we live we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Always on his mind. We no longer live. We were bought with a price. We are the Lord's. Christ Jesus made me his own. You ever just dwell on that? Paul did. And understanding that, he says, it's because of this. First and foremost, Paul says, I press on. I press on because I belong to him. Like nobody can snatch me out of his hand. He is sovereign over my life. He has a good, pleasing, and perfect will for my life. He's made me his own, so I press on. And it's in right there that, he, that you see that there's a close link between the definiteness of his position and the next point we see here, which is the, what he saw as the duty of the present. So Paul knew he was no longer his own. Christ Jesus had made him his own. He belonged to Christ. And belonging to Christ, Paul says, brought with it a present duty. What is, what is that present duty? Namely, to do his will. I belong to him. He's made me his own. 
I'm his, so it's his will that I, I'm duty bound to do. Right? Look at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. That's just reiterating what he said in the last verse. I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect yet. I'm not to the end of Christ's work and plan for me, no matter how many hills and valleys I've traveled through already. So if that's true, if he's not there yet, what is the duty of the present? And notice three things that he says repeatedly in these verses. In verse 12, he already said, I press on. In verse 13, he says he is straining forward. Straining forward. And again, in verse 14, he'll say, I press on. Over and over again, he says things like that. The duty of the present is to, is to know you, that's the task, to, to, to press on, to, to know Christ more for your life increasingly to reflect the fact that you belong to him, right? That, that he, he has made you his own. And to know all the things that he talked about in verses 10 and 11. You press on to, to, to verses 10 and 11, to know him, to know the power of his resurrection, to become like him in his death, and in God's timing experience the resurrection from the dead at, at, at Christ's return. Here's just a pause for a second. That by any means possible I, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It's just a fun fact to think about. That, Christ, that Paul the Apostle will not, will not attain the resurrection from the dead until we do. Until we do. Hebrews says, these all died in faith, not having received the, the promise of what is to come, but that not apart from us, they would be made perfect, right? Uh, Paul's body, if there's anything left of it, went into the ground, right? His spirit is with the Lord now. When we die, that's where our spirits will be and our body will be in the ground. But it's at Christ's return, it's at Christ's return that both he and us, he and we, will be raised in a new resurrection body. We will all attain the resurrection of the dead at the same time. Back to the, the message. But think about, think about the language that Paul uses, this language of pressing on, uh, the you, you, it's okay if you forget this word, but the word that Paul uses there to talk about press on is the Greek word dioko, dioko. And that, that, that word dioko means to chase after something, to pursue it, to hunt it down, as in hunting, like, or in war, to chase after something. In fact, this same word, Dioko is used often to tra- and translated as to persecute. That's the same word when you, you, you see the New Testament talking about pers- somebody persecuting somebody. It's this same word that this translated here, pressing on. It's relentless pressing. That's how Paul described each day of his following Christ, chasing after Christ, like in relentless obedience even when it was hard because he knew what he says in verse 10, he knew that even when obedience was hard, that's precisely when he would know and become better acquainted with the the power of his resurrection, the power of Christ's resurrection. And that word straining toward, straining toward, that word straining means to 
stretch to to lengthen something and it's like it's 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 this word picture of stretching out to try to grab something that's that you're chasing after you're just stretching your body out to get it and you get the picture of Paul doing that maximal effort going after Christ that's the idea that Paul is conveying about the duty of the present and how is that a means of perseverance again connecting this point to to verses 10 and 11 which we looked at last week this kind of wholehearted and determined obedience to put your sin to death, to live to righteousness. That is actually the path, no matter the cost. That's actually the path to, path to know Christ more intimately and more joyfully. That's, and, and it's that joy that, that was the subject of 3.1. It's that joy that fuels your perseverance. There's a third key to perseverance, third thing to understand be aware of, and that is the distraction of the past. Notice what else he says in verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind. Paul is still putting practical feet to the gospel that he outlined in the previous verses. Paul, still speaking from personal experience, says if you want to press on joyfully in the Lord, you have to forget what is behind you. You have to forget what is behind you. The past can be a distraction to the present. And certainly, past sins and failures can be a distraction from the present and distract you from and and be a deterrence from your joy and your confidence and your assurance to press on. And Paul really didn't know that. He really didn't know that. We know that because he, in so many different places in his letters, Paul was just honest about his life before Christ. And he told Timothy, I, he, he felt like he, he said, I am the, the, the chief, the foremost. The, when you look up sinner in the dictionary, Paul expected his picture to be there. I'm the, I'm, I'm the chief. I'm the worst. And he, doesn't, and he doesn't just talk in generalities like that. He doesn't just say, yeah, I'm a bad sinner. Like he... He he gets specific. We've read this passage before, but remember how he described himself in Acts 26, verses 10 to 12. Acts 26, 10 to 12. This will sound familiar to you, but just listen. I myself was convinced, Paul says about himself, that I ought to do many things in opposing, opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in synagogues, and I tried to make them blaspheme. And in, and here's his words, raging fury, I persecuted them. There's that word dioko. I chased them down, even to foreign cities. Paul was now pursuing Christ. He was as fervently as he used to pursue Christians. But how do you how do you square that? How do you how do you square Paul routinely t- telling that story about himself 
like it and not holding anything back. I wasn't just bothered by Christians. I had raging fury. I voted for them to die. I went to other cities. I, I, I went to trouble to go to other cities to find who they are, try to make them blaspheme, and then vote for them to die. How does Paul tell that story over again, over and over again? Because that's just one example of him doing that many times. How do you square that with, yet he's here saying, forget what is behind. Forget what is behind. What's the difference? The difference is Paul is not telling that story about his own life to wallow in it. Right? He, he tells that story to magnify Jesus Christ. To magnify the Lord's sovereign power over him. To magnify his mercy to him. It's not to wallow in his sin, but say, look at how merciful Christ is. And in terms of still feeling condemnation for his sins, Paul would tell the Romans, there's therefore now no condemnation, Romans 8.1, for those who are in Christ Jesus. All of our sins have already received their just condemnation on Jesus Christ. And Psalm 103.12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. The Lord promised in Jeremiah 31, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. If God has already punished our sins on Jesus and he's cast our sins as far as the east is from the west and he remembers them no more. Now qualify that. He's, God is omniscient, right? So how can he remember them no more? He, it's not that he literally doesn't know them. He no longer takes them into account when he deals with you. It's as if they never happened. As if. if. If God is like that, then why do we still remember them and take them into account when we think about ourselves? And, 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 and when we consider what kind of confidence and assurance I should have before God. Why do we often heap condemnation on ourselves when the judge of all the earth doesn't heap condemnation upon us? All of your condemnation was heaped on Jesus when he hung on the cross. And so all that's left for us is grace. That's why Paul would say that remembering your past sins, and for that matter, for that matter, your past high points, your past good days, the good days, man, he recounted those too. Do you, do you realize in the pre previous passage, if you have confidence in the flesh, I've got a lot more. And he, he, he said, man, this is my resume. And he says, that's trash. That's what he, that was his conclusion there. That's trash. If you, if you take into account the good days of your life where you were once walking faithfully with Christ with the assumption that that still counts for today, all of those past things can be a distraction and a deterrence to our present walk and joyful perseverance. Paul says, forget about all that. Fix your eyes and attention on something else. And what does he say that you should fix your attention on? He talks about the desire for the prize. Think about that with me. So Paul has repeatedly said that he, he pressed on, he strained forward toward what? Verse 14, toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's, that's pretty simple. He knows that history isn't aimless. It's not... It's not going nowhere. It's going somewhere. History's going somewhere. Um, but he knew it wasn't just going somewhere. It was going to a victorious end 
for every believer in Christ. Paul told the Corinthians that when Christ returns, we will all be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And John said, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. 1 John 3. And Paul knows that prize of the upward call is crucial to our perseverance now because he knew that appointed end point not only, not only means that our struggles and our, our hardships now have an expiration date on them, that they're not going to last forever, but it also means that whatever we face now is filled with meaning and purpose because it's, it's, all, uh, it, it's all part of, a, of the story that we're in, all right? What is it that he told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, 17? This slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Think about that verse. This slight momentary affliction is preparing an eternal weight of glory. The affliction is preparing an eternal weight of glory. I mean, that's just, he's actually saying the afflictions, the hardships themselves are what's preparing us something for us. They're preparing us for that day and preparing that day for us. So don't, don't lose sight of the fact that the history that we're, we're living in is a story. We're living in a story. I mean, just let, let that one roam around in your mind for a while. We're living in a story that God has written, that Christ is sovereign over. And, and Paul told the Thessalonians that when we, when we think about those things, we ought to encourage one another with those words. Especially when you remember there is no condemnation for us on that day. If we're in Christ by faith, we can long for His coming. But Paul moves to the fifth key to his perseverance in verse 15. We've seen the keys of understanding the definiteness of your position, the duty of the present, distraction of the past, desire for the prize. Fifthly, Paul warns them against the danger of pride. Look at verse 15 with me. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise... God will reveal that also to you. Did you notice that he said specifically, let those of us who are mature think this way? Now, that's interesting. He says mature, that, and, and that's the way he means it right there. But he's actually using the same word that he used back in 12. When Paul said in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. If, if, if consistently translated, he would say, I'm not already perfect in verse 12. And then he says in verse 15, let those of us who are perfect think this way. Well, how, do you, how does that happen? Because he knows that Paul is already perfect in one way, and he's not yet perfect in a different way. He's already perfect positionally in Jesus, but he's not yet perfect progressively in practice as he walks with Jesus. And so that's why in verse 15 it's talking about not our standing before God in Christ, but our practical working that out in our lives. And so let those of us who are then mature think this way. Paul is specifically talking to believers who are already mature in the faith. He's saying, 
think like this, mature Christian. Paul is saying it's not just it's not just that when you're young in the faith that you aren't there yet. It's not just when you're immature in the faith that you aren't there yet, certainly. But even when you are mature in the faith and you've been walking with Christ for a long time, you aren't there yet. Paul had walked a lot of miles with Jesus. But he didn't say, let those of you who are mature think this way, did he? He said, let those of us, let those of us. He put himself under that, that same admonition. And if we aren't careful, I want you to hear this. If we're not careful, we can think that the passage of time alone can mature us in the faith. That just the passage of time alone will mature us in the faith. It can't. It can't. And it won't. If we think that the passage of time alone, that just sort of automatically, as I get older, I'm more mature in the faith, then every day we grow older, we'll grow more and more self-absorbed and exhibit less and less of the character of our humble Savior. Pride is the danger of all dangers. So Paul says, let those who are mature, even those who are mature, think like this. And finally, with the last key he notes here, and we're going to have great time to talk around our tables, be of good cheer. Paul said he understood the demand for perseverance. Think about that with me quickly from verse 16. The passage ends in verse 16 saying simply, only let us hold true to what we obtain, uh, attained. Um, a lot of times when you see in your New Testament and it says, let us do this or let us do that, it, it sounds in English like it's just an invitation. Hey, let's do this. It's actually a command. It's a, it's a, it's a plural command. That's the old way we translate it. Let us do this. He's actually saying, y'all do this. Do it. Right? And what's he saying to do? Hold true to what you've attained. That needs to be said for sure because there is a sense in which if you don't fight to keep it and to advance it, you can lose what you've already attained. Which sounds scandalous. I'm not saying that you can lose your salvation. That's not what I'm saying. But there is a sense in which if you are staying in the Word you're reading your Bible regularly, you're hearing it preached and taught week by week, you're praying regularly, privately, and with others, and you're looking for opportunities to bear witness to Christ, and you're faithful in church, you can actually perceive yourself, not pridefully, but you can perceive yourself over time growing in the faith. You know? This was, a, this was a resolution that Jonathan Edwards made in the early 1700s. He said, he was young when he wrote this, but he said, resolved to study the Scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently 
as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. But the reverse is unfortunately also true. If you go long periods of time without ever reading the Scriptures, you bring your Bible to church, but you don't, that's about it. And then Sunday by Sunday, he's like, where's my Bible? And you, and, and you go long periods of time without ever praying, either privately or with other people. You never think about bearing witness to Christ. It's never even on your mind. And church is not that important to you. You can lose any progress you had ever made in your life in those aspects of your faith so that you could be a believer for years and still be a baby in Christ. And you might need some more self-examination if that description is true of you. Paul says, hold true to what we've attained. We have attained something in Christ, so hold true to it. Live a life that bears honest witness to the fact that that's what you've attained in Christ. Paul says, hold true to it, persevere. And I think these six things that Paul gave us in this passage will help us do just that. If you really think about it, if you really think about it, these, these are not these are not like, wow, rocket science keys. They're, these are really basic. These six keys basically come down to, hey, remember the gospel. Look at Jesus. Trust his purpose. Don't trust yourself, right? And follow hard with his help. That's what it comes down to. That's basic Christian life. Remember the gospel. Look at Jesus. Trust his purpose. Don't trust yourself. And follow hard with his help. That This is a passage I think that we need to come back to again and again and again.